And about a minute after that, it comes on again. And they say, we have confirmed that shots were fired at the presidential motorcade. It is believed the president was hit because the motorcade took off and they are now said to be headed toward Parkland Hospital. And from then on, the rest of that day was spent listening to the account of it. My fifth period class was Woodshop. In Woodshop, by that time, we had heard of um, Lee Harvey's interaction with the police. They were saying that we're still trying to identify the, the officer that was shot or they're trying to tell us or they're waiting to tell us when we can. And sure enough, about 20 minutes after all that, they came on and said, we've now identified the officer who was shot. It's Officer J.D. Tippett. And I looked over my shoulder at where normally his son, Alan Tippett, would be sitting. And they'd already come and gotten him out of school that day. I know I, for one, have always and will always support police. I mean, you guys do great work. It's way, way underappreciated. And I, for one, am in your corner. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast. Brought to you by the Assist the Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community, and now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree, and we all make mistakes. But together we can grow. We can heal and we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Welcome back Dallas, Texas. And also I wanna welcome all the listeners from out of state and out of our country. This is Joe King. I'm with the Hall of Famer, Misty Van Curen, my academy classmate, Randy Aguilar. And today we have a special guest co-host, Jamie Yerrick. Today we have a treat for the ATO listeners, as we are having on a true radio icon. I love history, and being born in Dallas myself, I love me some Dallas history. Today's guest was born in Dallas in 1950 in the Oak Cliff District of Dallas. He graduated Kimball High School in 1968. Playing the drums in several local bands, he knew early on that he had a great passion for music. That had come up later in his life. Still gravitating to the world of music and broadcast, he started working at the zoo in 1979. In Dallas in the 70s and 80s, the zoo was the gold standard for rock music and the epitome of a wild rock station. Imagine WKRP in Cincinnati, but in Dallas, Texas. From a weak radio signal on 1310 AM, he helped create the four-time Marconi winner for radio station of the year, the national radio juggernaut known as the Little Ticket. Today, let's travel back in time in Dallas, a different yet similar Dallas, Texas, with all of its history, good and bad. Let's take a view through the eyes of someone who lived it, and to this day, 
still roams the city streets. The Assist the Officer Foundation is honored to welcome on the Old Gray Wolf, the godfather of the ticket, the Texas Radio Hall of Famer. ATL friends, there's some friggin' in the riggin', and we are haze gray and underway with the great Mike Reiner. Mike, thank you for coming on with us. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here today. Are you, though? Surrounded by three <laughs> cops and an Auburn Trust vixen. <laughs> That's Jamie Yurick. She's sitting in as a co-host. Yes. Used to know her as Jamie Garner. We spent years together in the radio game. Yeah. Yeah, she wasn't going to miss this episode. I had to ever hear. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. Good to see you. Back when we weren't corporate and we got to run amok. Yes. And those were good times. Oh, were they ever. Were they ever. Those days are gone. They are gone. Yeah. It's not W8. WKRP in Cincinnati anymore. No, no, no. They're gone and they won't be coming back. <laughs> no. All right. You ready to get into this? Let's do it. All right. I want to get your perspective on the history of Dallas. I mean, you've you're born in 1950 here. You you've been you lived it all. And you're mm-hmm. still here, mm-hmm. and you embrace this city and embraces you. And I want to get. We've had so many changes, so many horrors in the city. You've had a president fall. We've seen officers ambushed you've seen a young child you know killed by police Mm -hmm. and we've seen protests and we're going to see more i just want to get your perspective on through your eyes of what you've seen in the city wow that's a very wide-ranging all-encompassing question to start with there (laughs) yeah well that's not the first question the first question i'm gonna i'm gonna take you back to 1950 okay well just to touch on this I mean, it's it's constantly changing, things constantly change, even though a lot of the time it seems like they're not, they are, you know. I learned long ago that the only thing certain in this world is change, and you just got to roll with it. We've all got to roll with it, and that's, I don't know, that that kind of sets the tone for it all for me. Just because things are this way today, they're not going to be that way forever. You don't know where it's going, but you got to roll with it. Yeah. And was that a good answer? No, no, it was a great answer. There's no bad and answers. No, there is no bad okay. answers. We're, oh, I'll come up with one. <laughs> no. Well, we'll challenge it. Yeah, well, I'll see your shitty answer, and I'll raise you. Okay. Mine, okay. <laughs> uh, you grew up in Oak Cliff in, in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Can you describe Oak Cliff, what that was, the Oak Cliff District, when you grew up and, and how, how it was looked at back then? Oh, it was a great place to grow up. Just a phenomenal place. It still is, I believe, the most picturesque part of Dallas. It's a place where, and I know this sounds weird because people think of Dallas as a very flat place, but if you know where to look over there, there are some things in Oak Cliff that are just mind-boggling that nobody even knows about. I could take you right to them. And it's it's still very nice to this day, but as is the way in most big cities, you know, demographics change, and you know sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's not. Oak Cliff's had its ups and downs with it, but still, it's a very nice place. And and back then, it was a wonderful place to grow up. Well, it's same as like a Pleasant Grove back in that time. It was. 
it was it was a nicer it was nice yeah yeah i'm just different sides of town but i'm sure there are a lot of similar similarities between oak cliff and pleasant grove yeah uh for the listeners that don't know Pleasant Grove, we've mentioned Pleasant Grove quite a few times on different episodes uh, in or in and Oak Cliff. In 1903, Oak, the Dallas annexed the Oak Cliff area mm-hmm. to absorb it, basically. Uh, Oak Cliff is much different now than when you grew up as far as just uh, demographics and, as far, and, and also crime. Yeah, it is. It used to be a very safe place. It used to be a place where... For the most part, you knew the people around you. They knew you. And, you you know, if you put roots down in Oak Cliff, by and large, you stayed there. Um, Or at least it was that way for a while when I was young. But the older I got, the more that started to change. As you say, the demographics of the place changed a little bit. And a lot of people didn't want to fight that fight. And they got out of there. Now, my parents never did, and that meant that, for them, that meant that they were going to have to change their way of thinking because my parents were old-time World War II and before Southern people, and they grew up with that whole ethos, and they were going to have to change their way of thinking because, you know, more and more they found themselves surrounded with black people, and they had to make a call. Are we going to? get out of here like everybody else is doing, like all our friends are doing, or are we going to stay here and, you know, deal with this? And they decided to stay. And they, as things turned out, that was probably the best thing they ever did was to stay there and and just acclimate to the changes around them. Well, they were part of the inevitable change yeah in the in, in, in the country and not just right. Oak cliff but the entire country right it, it was it, happening it, it's just a microcosm for what was going on everywhere did your family have deep texas ties yes really yes they were texas through and through good you know i'm listening to an audio book that you read and i it's it's the accommodation mm-hmm. and it basically talks about the 1950s in the in dallas and it was really eye-opening of the house bombings, the the church bombings that went on back then, and just hearing the names of some of the of the figures in Dallas at that time that we have now freeways, you know, named after them. R.L. Thornton's. We have Ray Hubbard uh, that was involved. Uh, a young Dallas DA, people may have heard of, named Henry Wade mm-hmm. was uh, was prosecuting some of the uh, the people that were that were. Uh, setting off these bombs and yeah. uh, terrorizing. Basically, it was domestic terrorism that was going on out there in Oak Cliff. And listening to that book, I couldn't just think. I was thinking that that was probably going on in every major city USA, especially in the South at that time, of just the resistance and just the resorting of violence for change. Mm-hmm. Probably so. Yep. But around here, it was, I mean, that everything that is in that book mm-hmm. is not only true, but when it happened, it's about twice as jarring and twice as shocking as was presented there. Now I was a really young kid right. at the time. Like when those house bombings were blew up, were happening people and houses were exploding and people were having their houses blown up in the middle of the night. I might not have even been a year old, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but I swear 
I remember hearing about that on TV. Really? I'm thinking, man, they're blowing up houses? Or, I don't know, however a kid at that age processed that sort of thing. But I remember thinking that was that was uh, a little bit on the extreme side. Yeah, well, it. I'm surprised the media covered it that much. And, 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 and it probably was downplayed a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, I'm sure it was. Because all that was going on in South Dallas, and that was about the time that that white Dallas had pretty much seceded South Dallas over to to you know African Americans, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it, it was just really really shocking that something like that could happen. But the backlash to it all was pretty strong around here. I mean, there, there's always been, and you guys probably know this better than me, but there has always been kind of an underground insurgency mm-hmm. where people like that who work on the down low are willing to do stuff like that if, you know, if the price is right or, or whatever, you know. You don't hear about it too much today, thank goodness. Yeah. But back then, that type of thing seemed pretty strong around here. Yeah, well, money and power, they're just hand in hand. And even to this day, across, I mean, there's always there's always under the table handshake deals that contribute to, you know, crap like that. Mm-hmm. And, and the leaders of the city at the time, you know, listening to that book, it sounded like that was, that was a big player in it. Yeah. Well, a lot of the leaders of the city at that time didn't have any kind of official title. But what they did have was money. And back then, if you if probably just like it is now, if you got money, you can make things happen. Yeah, well, it, it is still similar now. Yeah, and it, but it is shocking. I mean, I, I read the first few pages of that book, and even though I'd never done anything like read an audio book in my life, I said, "Man, I've got to do this." Yeah, yeah. No, it was. It's a fascinating. As soon as I listened to your episode on your podcast with the author, uh, I I went and downloaded it on Audible. And uh, and I've got about an hour left, and it's fascinating. Yeah, it's a great piece of Dallas history. It's called the Accommodation for the listeners. It, yes, it's, it's a fantastic book. It's by Jim Shoots, yep. who is as things turn out as a Detroiter who moved down here in the '80s to go to work for the Dallas Times Herald, and has been here ever since, and somehow landed on to this and did a did great work with it. It's a fantastic book. Yeah, listening to you read it, too, was very interesting. And, that, and going into the, you know, we heard Giorgio had to read Fifty Shades of Grey on the, for eight straight hours. How, what is the process and how do <laughs> ticket, listen, ticket listeners will get that bit. Uh, how difficult of a process is that to read an audio book like that? And how long did that take? Well, it took um, about seven sessions. The sessions were generally three to four hours long. It all have they all happened in the month of September of last year, and um, some of them went better than others. There were some days where I could find the gear and really knock them out, and some days where I just could not. So it was kind of a process and kind of a. Uh, the, the, the thing I learned is that doing an audio book really is that way. A lot of other people who have done them since then have told me that, you know, some days you go in there, you just zip right through it. 
Other days, it just doesn't come out the way you think it should. You're stumbling over words. You're doing this. You're having to start over, go back, go back, go back, go yeah. back over and over again. And it's just some days are not good. And I had days like that for sure. But I had the other kind too. So yeah, I guess it balances out in the end. Well, we have that problem here just reading intros. That's why I recorded your intro before you walked in here. And you know, it's there's so many times we've had here. Oh, I, I can't geez. look at him. He's if he's reading. If I give him the wrong look, he'll start laughing, and <laughs> yeah. we'll have to start over. And it's I'll have to hold my head down because we will fuck some shit up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's and it sounds so simple. That, yeah, no, it's yeah, and and you don't want it, to. It's hard to read something. And you don't want to sound robotic like you're reading something. No, you no, want to no. sound natural. Yeah, you got to sound natural. It's like going to these live spots you guys did for the for your uh, sponsors on the ticket. You you know you try to make them sound as natural and normal as opposed to just you're like you're reading off a cue card. Yeah, I, I, I haven't mastered that yet. Misty is the best at doing the intros. <laughs> yeah, she is. And I can't. I stumble through it. Everybody here, Jamie's shaking her head. Yeah, because Misty is the best at it. But I stumble through that shit. I, that's why I, I record them before, prior, because I haven't mastered that yet. Probably the better play. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning my lesson. All right, I want to take you back. I want to take you back to the '60s, and you were a Dallas Texans fan. Yes. Can you describe? There's a lot of listeners, and my girlfriend didn't even know that what the Dallas Texans were back then, and, and when the Cowboys came to town, how that went down. Could you kind of describe that? Well. For those who may not know what he's talking about, there was a time when this was a two-football team town. You had the Cowboys, you had the Dallas Texans, who we all know today as the Kansas City Chiefs. They both played in the Cotton Bowl, and for a little 10-year-old kid like me that was really getting into sports about then, that sounded like the, the most Nirvana-like scenario one could possibly have. I mean, you got football – Every Sunday out of the Cotton Bowl. Now, the only thing was my dad would not support the Cowboys because he admired the entrepreneurial spirit of Lamar Hunt. Yeah. And for those to go down another road here, Lamar Hunt, who still to this day his family owns the Chiefs and always have, but he was trying to get into the NFL. He went to school at SMU. He loved football. His dad was H.L. Hunt, so they had all the money in the world, and what Lamar wanted to do more than anything else was bring pro football to Dallas. And he tried to get into the NFL, but he kept getting told over and over again, nobody's for sale, nobody's looking to sell. Um, the closest he got was one time somebody said, you need to talk to Bidwell. Bill Bidwell was the guy that owned the then Chicago Cardinals because Chicago was – a two-team town, and they were kind of getting the vibe that he was looking to get out. So, as the story goes, Lamar Hunt did talk to him. Nothing came of it. And finally, he just said, screw it. I'm going to round up some young, rich guys like me in other places. We're going to start our own league. That's what he did. The AFL. The AFL. Yep. Wow. So, when the Cowboys came to town – how was how did how were they received and what kind of clash did the Texans and the Cowboys have and what what happened that made the Texans leave town? Uh, well, one was to your last point. One was going to win that fight because it became clear straight away 
that was this was not a two-team town, that the city would not support two football teams. And one was going to have to leave town, and Lamar Hunt fought the fight as long as he could. But the Cowboys, even though they were not – they were an expansion team, and, you know, expansion teams generally have a rough go early in their life. And the Dallas Texans, on the other hand, were very competitive. And their last game here as the – well, not here, but their, their last game as the Texans – was the 1962 AFL championship game, which they won over the Houston Oilers. And they won it, and they were the champions. And then the next thing you know, it's like, okay, we're moving to Kansas City. See you guys later. So it was that, – that was weird. I mean, like I was 12 then. I didn't understand yeah. these things. And I loved going to Texans games. I, I, I would have loved going to either or both, but – my dad, like I say, supported Lamar Hunt, and he took me to Texans games. But, hey, I was just glad for it. Yeah, you're just happy to show up to something. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think the fact that the Cowboys were NFL, part of the NFL, helped them stay here? And that's I why? do. Okay. I do. I think that because they were part of the NFL, and the NFL was a more established league. But I think the main thing that did it was the Cowboys had Clint Murkison, the mm-hmm. owner, who was willing, who, like Lamar Hunt, had deep ties here in town. And they had the foresight to bring Tex Schramm in here, who was not going to let anything like that happen. Tex Schramm is one of the, I don't know, two or three most dynamic figures I was ever around during my time in the game. When Tex Schramm wanted something to happen, it would happen. Now, a lot of the time, it was noisy. There was a lot of cussing involved, there were a lot of threats, and I mean he was a he was a badass, almost a bully, but he got what he wanted, and that's one of the reasons the Cowboys persist, persisted and stuck it out was because of him. He would not have it any other way. And he hired the polar opposite in him and Tom Landry. Oh God! <laughs> you talk about two guys who could not have been more different. Yeah. And they had only a business relationship, and that was it. They did not hang out. They did not interact with each other any more than they absolutely had to, but they made it work. No, clearly. We just have a uh, Mark Bacon, brand-new sergeant. Congrats, Mark. He just walked in. He's sitting in. He's a, he's a big-ticket fan himself, and he's also from Missouri. So he knows a little bit about this Kansas, ah, Kansas City right. Chief. <laughs> Well, to this day, I, I still kind of have a little bit of a spot in here for him. <laughs> you know, seeing what happened to him last year, that, that I, I was on board with that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was a card-carrying member of the Dallas Texans Huddle Club all those years, so I'm definitely on – Still, I still have a thing for the Chiefs. How quick did you jump on the Cowboys when, back then? When Well, once the Chiefs left, that was all we had. Yeah. I was just a fan of the game. I knew the Cowboys were bad, and they were they were to stay bad for a couple of more years. But once they started getting good, I was all in. Yeah, he had the ice bowl, and yeah. you know, and the and the if it wasn't for the Packers, you know that that damn trophy might have been named Tom Landry. Might have trophy, been. You know, might have been. Everybody talks about the ice bowl, but the 1966 championship game was really good too. Oh yeah, yeah. Tell us about it between the Cowboys yeah. and Packers. Yeah. 
I think the Packers won at 35-20. There was or 35 to 28. There was a lot of offense. Went down to the last drive. Great game. You know, they had a guy named Star too playing there that had something to say about that. He was pretty good. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's Bob. Uh, growing up, did you have many interactions with Dallas PD? Like just a good, bad, indifferent? Um, I've only had one to speak of. And that was the night that I was stopped for speeding. It's pretty late. And subsequently arrested for buying, possessing, and receiving stolen goods in Bergen County, New Jersey. Wow. I, you, I heard this story on the ticket. This great story. <laughs> and Dallas PD is the one that arrested you? Yeah. And when was that? Uh, this would have been in 71, um, 72, something like that. Yeah. Wow. And I don't know what made the guy think that I was the guy he was looking for because the guy's name that he was looking for, come to find out, was Hispanic. Yeah. And you're you're the opposite would, of That would Hispanic. not be me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. We had the same initials or something turned up somewhere. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting in the car thinking that, okay, he's going to come up here and bring me a ticket, and that'll be that. But he comes up and says, out of the car. I said, what? He said, get out of the car. And believe me, I know better yeah. than to mess around with 5-0. <laughs> when 5-0 says, get out of the car, I get out of the car. It's yes, sir, no, sir. And he put me up there and arrested me, handcuffed me, and hauled me to jail. And I spent the night there. For for the death charges? I guess. Yeah, okay. All right. I don't know. I, I, I never really heard the end of this. Well, that's always nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. I got my one phone call, so I called my old man. Yeah. We'll, said, talk, we'll talk to Chief Garcia to see if we can get an answer from finally. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him what had happened. And, you know, this is about 2, 2.30 in the morning by, by then. And he just kind of yawned and said, have you ever even been to New Jersey? And I said, no, I've never been to New Jersey. You know that. And he said, okay, just go back in there. We'll, we'll get you out in the morning. In the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and he did. So having that experience, and it was the 70s, mm-hmm. what was the general sentiment about police um, among the lay people, regular citizens? Um, not like now. That's for sure. I mean, nothing back then was like it is now. Um, I'd say for the most part, among the law-abiding lay citizens, they were, you know, they they were pretty supportive of the police. I think that's the way it always seemed to me. Everybody's got a an experience i've had when i was a kid i've had a bad experience with with police and but i've had a lot of good ones and now that i'm i've been an officer for you know over 25 years i've had you know i've seen both sides myself mm-hmm. and i've seen other officers that should not be officers and and i've seen people that are i've seen them at their worst right mm-hmm. so i have just different perspectives and i get it sometimes when people dislike us but i also I see the need for we need to we need to work together. Yeah, 
right yeah and in the in the 50s and 60s and and you know usually in the area that the town that misty and i worked and and mike over there in bacon and even part of the town randy worked in when he was on the streets we own when i went out after people i only really dealt with bad people I mean, I'd answer some calls sometimes and, and deal with some of the, the lifers in Oak Cliff that mm-hmm. lived there their entire life. Right. And they were getting terrorized by the shit around them, right? And I, and, and I dealt with them, and I, and I, I felt so sorry for, for, for these folks. But the high majority of the people that we dealt with, they were bad people. The type of work that we gravitated to, drugs, guns, gangs, sure. we were just dealing with nothing but bad. So it was a breath of fresh air whenever we go to a restaurant in North Dallas and people come up and buy your meal or they say thank you for yeah. your service yeah we don't get that much down in south dallas or now oak cliff i'll bet you know well i always try to make it a point too when i see cops you know in a place that i'm at i just walk up to them and say appreciate the work man we appreciate that i mean because especially now because it's it's just tough and, i know and, and there are I mistakes and there are mistakes made by everybody and by, sure. by officers nobody's you know, perfect and, and like everybody always says the People who hate the dirty cop more than anybody is the good cop. Yeah. Because we all feel it. Yeah. You know, we we feel those shockwaves. Well, it's like anything else. There are good and bad in everything. Good and bad in every line of work or, or, you know, wherever you look out there. Well, part of this podcast, I want to keep the history of Dallas alive. And and one of the biggest pieces of history you actually, you, you live through. So we had on the oldest living detective that handled Lee Harvey Oswald and, and Jack Ruby. Mm-hmm. He's 94. Sonny Elmer Boyd. We came on and uh, just an incredible guy. He, he's still sharp. He remembers answering his first calls in West Dallas in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And he remembers the only time he was not at Oswald's side is when Oswald got shot because they were just going to do just a prisoner transfer. Do you recall where you were when, whenever – were you in school, or did you go out to the go out to the motorcade? I was in room one twenty two, Brown Junior High. It was eighth grade, um, math or whatever they called it back then. It wasn't algebra yet. Um, the teacher was Mister Stoll, who had a really weird idiosyncrasy of writing something on the board, erasing it with his hand, and then wiping it off <laughs> on his suit. <laughs> Uh, I was sitting by the window. In front of me was Chip Painter. Behind me was Kim Taylor, Sherry Westerledge, a lovely tall, skinny girl with wonderful sea green eyes, right across from me. And that's where I was. We were in class. And all of a sudden, the intercom comes on, and they're playing the Mighty 1190 KLIF, which was the swinging music station back then. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, what's going on here? And teacher didn't know. He just kind of stopped down. And they turned it off right away. Well, about 15 seconds later, it came back on. They're they're playing it again. But this time, a guy busts in and says there have been reports shots fired at the presidential motorcade in downtown Dallas. We're still trying to find out more details. Stay tuned to Cliff News. And that was it. And so we were very befuddled by all of this, but we got back to what we were doing. And about a minute after that, 
it comes on again. And they say, we have confirmed that shots were fired at the presidential motorcade. It is believed the president was hit because the motorcade took off, and they are now said to be headed toward Parkland Hospital. And from then on, the rest of that day was spent listening to the account of it. Wow. So you do remember it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I have a cop story about it, too. But let's hear it, please. Um, my fifth period class was woodshop. And in woodshop, by that time, we had heard of um, Lee Harvey's interaction with the police. And we were waiting, and they, they were saying that we're still trying to, to identify the, the officer that was shot, or, or they're trying to tell us, or they're waiting to tell us when we can. And sure enough, about 20 minutes after all that, they came on and said, we've now identified the officer who was shot. It's Officer J.D. Tippett. And I looked over my shoulder at where normally his son, Oh. Alan Tippett would be sitting, and they'd already come and gotten him out of school that day. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I'd known each other for a long time, and, man, he was never the same after that. No, I can't imagine. No, that's shocking. I'm glad he, I'm glad he told that. Uh, Sonny, Sonny Boyd, he and uh, J.D. were actually friends, and they, they would take their kids out to Keys Park. Yeah. So, um, you know, what was the feel in the city? And, and I know you were just in, in, in middle school, but what was the feel in the city and at your home the, the few days after that happened? It changed. The, the general vibe of the city. I know I was very young then, but I was always attuned to this sort of thing. But the general vibe, the overall vibe, the feel of the city changed. And my parents didn't know what to make of all this. You know, because in the day, in the ensuing days, all we did, there was no school. All we did was watch TV, watch the Kennedy funeral and everything yeah. like that. And then when it was time to go back, everybody went back, but there was just no pep in anybody's step. Everybody was just trying to process it. You know, we didn't know how to make sense of something like this. And everybody was just trying to process in their own way what had happened and why it had happened and why did it happen here. Now, I, for one, was not surprised that it happened here. Was and, that? You, and you will never convince me that there was not some sort of conspiracy okay. involved. I was going to get to that. I was going to ask your thoughts on that. Um, you will never convince me that that was not the case. I know that nobody buys into that anymore <clears> and... It's. I think the reason most people don't buy into it anymore is because they're just tired of fighting the fight, you know. Yeah. But you will never convince me there was, that there was not a conspiracy, possibly involving the Binions and people like that who had mafia ties, underworld ties, however you want to put it, that they were involved in that, or that they weren't involved in that because they all hated Kennedy. Yeah, you know, he was very hated here in the South. Yeah, the yeah, house, he so. was. He was. Nobody liked him here. <clears throat> well, even going to that book, it, it it was a lot of it was because of the civil rights movement. Yeah, that was that was being uh, basically 
put in or even talked about by a sitting president at the time. Yeah, and he was he was seen as a, a proponent of that, and, and that was a very, very tough sell around here. Mm. Well, Dallas had a dark cloud for decades, and especially Dallas police. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. we, we there's also a president that got killed here. I mean, and, and another thing, that were, it was actually videoed yeah. in, in, in a time that you didn't see that type of violence on captured on video. And to that, to that just graphic nature, you know, I mean, he, the Zapruder film didn't come out till way later. Yeah. And then actually that film that he was using was very cutting edge. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Parkland. Oh yeah. That's a good movie. And, and it's, movie. And, and it's, it's one of those Sundance film movies that didn't get wide release. But uh, Randy, I think you and I watched it. Fantastic movie that even Kodak at the time, they could not develop that film because it was so new and cutting edge. And it had, there was one place in town that i think could even develop that film for the secret service when that happened it's fascinating um and it, it just dallas police i know that we have a d in the middle of our badge it's a raised d in the middle of the star and for years uh after they had it colored you know it was black they put it had a black ba- a d and it was because of the kennedy assassination mm-hmm. but we had from the way people from other parts of the country looked at dallas we were looked at as a very just evil place. After oh, that yeah, happened. the city of hate. Yeah. How long do you think it took the city to recover from that? Are we sure it has? Okay. Yeah. I think for the most part it has. But real recovery, I think, probably didn't start until the 80s. Damn. Yeah. Now it's just looked at as a tourist attraction. I mean, you know, yeah. we got we got a museum there, and mm-hmm. and I've been to that museum a few times. And um, there's always people out there in the middle of the street. Oh yeah, yeah. You yeah, got yeah, I mean, across it, the world. It, across. It's a piece of history now. Yes, you know. Every time I drive through Dealey Plaza, I I think about it. I was like, damn, we had a president get head blown off right there. Yeah, right there on the street in yeah. front of all these people. Not too long ago, I was living downtown on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. I used to drive past it all the time, and very, very rarely did I drive past it without at least some fleeting thought of it. Yeah, no, same with me. I still I go down I go down to the uh, Lou Sterrett Jail at least a couple times a week, and I'm and that's one that's part of my route that I go through Dealey Plaza. Yeah, I think about it every time I drive through there. Well, another thing too, I don't know if Mark got to do it, but it was very surreal when we take go to the old headquarters downtown, and mm-hmm. we'd walk right by where Jack Ruby was uh, shot, Lee Harvey. That was always surreal, you know. And I told the arrestees, you know, who was shot here. Most of the time, these little kids didn't know. But yeah, that was that was I thought very surreal. I don't know how you guys felt about that. It was just odd walking oh, through that. It, it was it was just another incredible twist to a mind blowing weekend. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you just and, and again, that was another murder though. That was on live TV. Yeah. You know, people watch that just watching the run of the mill prisoner transfer. Uh, Oswald being let out, and the guy just jumps out of the crowd and shoots him in front of everybody. Yeah. Now, I do have a picture somewhere of me standing in the jail cell where Lee Harvey spent his last night. Wow. Well, I, you know, it's funny is that is that now it's a parking garage for the, the judges down in, in, in the court, the courthouse. It's a courthouse now. Mm-hmm. It's not police headquarters anymore. 
And Misty and I, and Mike uh, Yerick over here, when we hired on, that that was police headquarters. And we actually had, I did my physical agility test in that parking garage. I did my sprints and uh, like the little physical workout in that parking garage where Oswald got shot. And now I I brought one of our, uh, co- my, one of my coworkers never, had never seen it. And I went down to city court just last week and I took her down there and got a picture with her posing where you know where where it happened yeah it still looks the same i mean you know it's it's that everything that could have gone wrong in that prison transfer went wrong they were actually he was actually supposed to be gone like 20 30 minutes earlier they could not get a a armored truck down that ramp they were trying and it got stuck so they had to back it out and then they had to get a sedan to come in there and then they were looking for a sweater for him because he asked for a sweater because he was cold it's just like all these little nuanced dominoes fell into place yeah and 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 here comes ruby he's just down he was at western union right down the street he walked down there left his dog in his car and he just walked in and and that and that happened did but, he, how, how did he have that kind of access to that he knew so many dallas cops they yeah, he owned yeah, all I'm these sure he, he did yeah he, i'm and, sure he did and even the detective we had on said yeah everybody knew him he brought sandwiches the night before at that damn press conference that Oswald had, and actually got in, got in, infiltrated that news, that news conference as like a, they thought he was a press member. But he brought sandwiches to everybody. Did he know them so well that he could just walk in there and have nobody think about it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Well, well, yeah. He he was in so good because there's a lot of Dallas officers at the time that would frequent those those yeah. strip clubs and right. his in his bars, and they would go in and and buy rounds on him and and there you go and yeah and i don't think anybody i don't think anybody thought that would happen he just comes strolling in there with no security and hell anybody could have walked in i I believe i I think everybody was so you know engrossed in what was going on what was about to happen they were probably watching the media was surrounded just get pictures of the guy getting put in a sedan to take off and yeah. anybody could have walked in that down those ramp because there's two there's a ramp on each side there's a there's a ramp on elm and uh as well as commerce mm-hmm. so wow. that was main street sorry all right wow well the great gordo seems to think it's it's a it's a lone gunman well, and <laughs> he's got his opinion i've yeah, got mine yeah <laughs> well you actually you actually grew up you were alive at that time you, yeah, you, that's one thing I've got yeah, on him. I was there. Yeah, he's got a bathtub though. He's got he's got yeah he's le- got the bathtub. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's got the bathtub. But I knew Alan Tippett. Yes, I'm glad you told that story. Um, shifting gears, going into music. What age did you get to music? God, I can never remember music not being a part of my world. My mother used to play the radio constantly when I was a kid, and. I don't know. It's it's been. I don't have too many constants over the span of my years on the planet, but music has pretty much been one of them. Now there have been some times when I've drifted away from it a little bit, but sooner or later, it's sitting over there in the corner with a bar stool, got the skirt hiked up a little bit, looking at me and saying, "Hey, guy, come over here." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and fool that I am, I do it. 
Sorry, I didn't mean to be looking at you when I said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, my, <laughs> he is pretty. He is sexy as hell. Very pretty. Over there. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the great Mike Eric over here. The Greek God. Yes, the Greek God. <laughs> Landed Jamie. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, well played well, there. Yeah, <laughs> what was your favorite band or you know, artist growing up? Um, I don't know. I liked Elvis when he first mm-hmm. emerged. I definitely saw the attraction there. I didn't like it when he started making goofy movies. Yeah, that was... Yeah. But there was one that I liked more than Elvis, and that was Buddy Holly. Yeah, wow. I was a huge Buddy Holly fan. And the proverbial day the music died is another one that I will never forget. When that plane went down? Yeah. The and Big Bopper and... and uh, Richie Valley. Richie Valley, yeah. Richie yeah. Valley. And the news of that started to make its way back here. And I mean, Buddy Holly, by that time, at that young age, had already done so much great stuff. And... He was seen, I mean, I didn't know this at the time, but he was seen as an innovator, and wherever this thing was going to go, he was going to be the one to take it there, or one of the ones to take it there. Um, I was into him, and then the Beatles came out, and I got into them, and that's what got me into playing it. And it just kind of went from there. And you started off with the drums, right? Yeah. Where, where did you learn to play the drums? Self-taught or? Self-taught. Wow. Just watching all the other great drummers that were around in Oak Cliff at the time do it. You would play at local bands, right? Yeah. Right? yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's how you'd make your money. Yeah. All right. What kind of drummer did you, did you consider yourself? Um, well, I was nowhere good as, I, as good as I thought I was. That's for sure. Um, I don't know. I came to um, worship at the altar of the groove over time, and I considered myself fairly early on, and from for the rest of the time that I did that, I was I was a groove meister. Wow. Okay. I love the groove. I love Memphis records. I love soul records. Love stacks. All those records. Al Green records. Yes. Because they had such a mighty, mighty groove, and I loved laying that down. Have you heard the Al Green, I Want to Hold Your Hand? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's damn good. I have that. That's Yeah, I love that. I love that rendition that he does. I love everything he yep. does, man. When the, I got some questions here from my SWAT guy. who's a, uh, uh, our, He's our sound guy, but he's also got a master's in music. And he said, when playing the kick, do you bury the beater or open tone? Do I bury the beater? Or, um, probably more of an open tone guy. Okay. Yeah. That yeah, is totally I try, over I try my to head. hit it and get off of it. Okay. He, this guy, he's he's really impressive. Shout out, Danny. Um, favorite drum solo. Um, it's not exactly a solo, but I think my favorite drum track ever that I never can hear enough of, even though I've memorized every bit of it. I can't play it anymore, but, well, I never could play it, but I did memorize every bit of it. And that is what the great Steve Gadd did in the Steely Dan song, Asia. You know, it's not really a solo because there's stuff going on over it, but during that passage, the drums take it. That hit you. Yeah. Nice. 
you said earlier you're playing the guitar now. Would you? What do you prefer? What was your? Would you enjoy more the guitar or the drums? Uh, well, drums then, guitar now. Okay, you know, love them both. I, I, it's like two completely different eras for me. Which gets more chicks? Uh, now. <laughs> Are there any hidden gym venues in Dallas that, since you grew up here, you grew up in Oak Cliff, that you visit now that are nostalgic or that you still go to? Venues for what? Music and stuff like that? Yeah. Uh, no, most of those that I used to go to are gone and have been for a long time. You guys know about the cellar? No. No. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, from you guys talking about it yeah. on air. Yeah. 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 Um, the cellar was right across from the KLIF studios at Commerce and what was then known as Central Expressway. And at that time, if you were coming through town, you had to go right past it. It was a very notorious place. But... They had live bands there. They had would have like three bands play there every night. It was open all night. And if you played there, you were on for an hour, and then you were off for two, and you could go do whatever you wanted. And some of the bands that played there were just phenomenal. But they, they were very, very different from bands that I would play in. You know, I, I would – there was just something about the way those guys – came up and the way they learned to play and the things that they brought that formed the fabric of their uh, of their musical scope if all that makes sense maybe it does maybe it doesn't but it was way way different from from bands i would play with where we would just listen to a record we would learn a song we'd try to cop it then we'd go play it there was a lot more that went into what those guys were doing, and I've and I have a hard time talking about it because I've never been able to put my finger on exactly why it was that way or exactly even what it was. And what I really want to do on my podcast is get some of those guys together and talk to them about that because there are some of them that are still around today and still lucid enough to talk about it. But... Uh, that was one place that was unlike any other. Now, what set it apart? What set it yeah. apart? Uh, well, the the just the music set up for one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you have three bands every night. There's one that plays for an hour, then another comes on plays for an hour, another comes on plays for an hour. You don't see that anywhere anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of wild women running around there. A lot of really, really randy characters. I mean, it it, it was it, it was it was the kind of place that you might get knifed in yeah. there, but it was that element of danger that sort of drew you in. That element of danger, and they had that that idea that hey, these guys aren't like you. These yeah. guys aren't like you or anybody you know. It kind of made me like to go in there and stand around the wall and watch as they all did their thing, you know. And the music was great, too. Love that place. Your band, uh, Petty Theft, you, you play at different venues right now in the city and all the metroplex. What, what are some of the good ones now? Where you, um, won't, where you won't get knifed. 
Um, well, we've never. Or had, will you get knifed? Yeah. This might be worth going to too. <laughs> well, fortunately, we've never been in a place where I felt like we were in any kind of grave danger. Yeah. We're a little bit too milk toast for that. <laughs> but um, Lava Cantina is a good one. Really enjoy playing there. Um, really. I don't have too much complaint with any of the ones that we play. They have a new one up there, Grandscape. Yeah, that, Grand, Grandscape. That, we that play place there is too. nice. Yeah. That's a nice area. Yeah, it is a nice area. And we play at Grandscape too. Um, we played at Legacy Hall, but we can't play there anymore because yeah. they're Lava Cantina is too big competitors for them. They, they made sure that we don't. Let's put it that way. Business happens. Business yeah. happens. Um, I want to take you back to 1968. Okay, graduated. Mm-hmm. And 1968 in America was just a boiling point. I mean, shit. It, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated. We had the Ted Offensive. Uh, we even had the first interracial kiss between uh, Captain Kirk yes. and, and uh, uh, a black female Ooh, actress. Yeah. Yep, yep. What was that like in Dallas for you? Growing up, I graduated in 68 in the temperature in Dallas. Pretty wild. Um, I don't know if Dallas has ever been terribly politically charged like some places. I mean, this is a remote southwestern outpost. Mm-hmm. And it's a great place to you know have families and raise kids and do all that stuff. It was known for that, and the city fathers were – damn sure set on keeping it that way yeah. you know they were not going to let the things that went on in in you know back east up in hotbeds like boston and you know where there were big colleges and stuff like that washington dc and all those other places they were not going to let that happen here they were never that was never going to become a part of the fabric of this city and even though there was definitely a community where that sort of thing was um fostered if you will it never really took hold and never made its way out into the mainstream just um, numbers probably had a lot to do with that there just weren't that many Mm -hmm. of those people but the place they all gathered was lee park okay and i remember one day i was out there and things between the cops and the hippies as they were known got a little hairy that day and there was some head busting going on. Yeah. That was pretty scary. What, to this day, though, Dallas still is not looked at as a political no, city. No, it's Considering a, our size. It too. is nowhere near the political hotbed that those places I just mentioned and some others are. Never has been, never will be. If it hadn't been by now, I don't think it ever will be. What did you do right out of high school? Um, tried to beat the draft. Yeah. That was job one for all of us back then. You do that any way you could. And the way I did it was, and the way many others did it was by enrolling at El Centro. Okay. So El Centro was around back then. El Centro (laughs) was around. Loved El Centro. What was your first car? My first car was a 1958 Chevrolet. It probably got... Um, I don't know, maybe 300 yards to a quart of oil. 
now. <laughs> Mine was an '89 Olds, the big two doors. The, yeah. the, the the doors were long and heavy, and after five years, you'd have to pull up and then slam it because it, it wouldn't shut. Yeah, it wouldn't shut right. Well, the doors on mine worked fine. It was just everything else. <laughs> <Yeah. that> didn't. <laughs> All right. Major incidents in Dallas. Uh, I want to talk about the Santos Rodriguez. Uh, killing mm-hmm. and, and the effects of the city on that in 1973 um, Dallas officer answers a burglary call I believe it and and he they detain Santos Rodriguez and his brother mm-hmm. an officer does like a field interrogation essentially plays Russian roulette with the kid yeah gun goes off he killed he kills Santos uh, chief chief Garcia just last year um had a big event and finally after all these years uh apologized to the family because apparently it had not been done from the department and uh chief garcia just did that last year and we, we spoke to him on that um they had a protest march for the march of justice for uh, santos mm-hmm. and it resulted in in in, in destruction of uh, property and and uh and Fighting the police and it is it was it was mayhem for the time. Can you you do you remember that? Um, no, I don't remember that specific incident, but mm-hmm. I do remember the whole Santos Rodriguez thing. I remember yeah. what a big news story this was and how everybody was talking about it. But again, this is the remote yet burgeoning outpost of Dallas where everything's normal and you know every, and none of this sort of stuff happens. And nobody knew how to process it back then. Nobody knew how to make sense of it. Nobody knew what to do about it. Nobody really knew anything. We were, it was almost like we were void of leadership back then. Yeah. Were you still in Oak Cliff at the time? Yeah. It was Oak Cliff still. It's still ethnically diverse. And the Latinos in that, er- in, in that neighbor, in your neighborhood, in that area, how did they feel? Did, did you, what kind of, sense did you get from them staying out there um they were all shocked and for some time after that um the position i adopted was to tread lightly around those people yeah you know watch what you do watch the way you look at them watch the things you say well just just be careful be mindful because because they were hurting you know it was obvious that they were so in any of those incidents, at any time, did you ever think or did your parents think, we need to move? And I don't mean from Oak Cliff. Do we need to leave the Dallas area or do we need to leave Texas? Did that ever enter into your mind? Not mine. And it didn't theirs either. I mean, by then, they were way, way dug in, you know. And it didn't, um, it, it didn't mine either. But that's an interesting question. That's the one I will take to my effing grave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what would it have been like? What, how would have things worked out for me had I gone somewhere else? I mean, not that they've worked out bad here. They haven't. But right. still, you wonder. Yeah, because I think about you and the music scene and how much you love music. Um, I think your daughter is involved mm-hmm. with music. Mm-hmm. Um, is she still in California? No, she's here now. Okay, so she's here. Yeah. Um, you can take the girl out of Texas. Yes, that's right. Did you ever think about moving for music for New York or California? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. But 
I don't know. There's just something about this place that has always kept me here. And every, I got pretty far along those lines. Me and another guy, a guitar player that I really enjoyed working with, we were going to make a break for it once upon a time, but we didn't. Any regrets? No. Good. No regrets. Good. Like I say, things have worked out just fine for me here. I'd say so. How did you end up at the zoo? And I want to describe to the listener what the zoo was back in the 70s and 80s. It was the epitome of a wild rock radio station. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, it had that reputation, and it gave off that vibe. But on the inside, it was really no different from any other radio station. I was the first one I ever worked at, so I had no frame of reference, but later on I would, and I see now that it was pretty much like all the rest of them. But boy, you talk about a great place to break into the game. Mm -hmm. Full. I mean, just overflowing with edgy cats and characters. And oh, man, it was awesome. What did you do that? As you put it in, in something else I read, that you were doing someone else's shit work. Yeah. When you started off there. Yeah, I was doing the program director's shit work. Yeah. He. he <laughs> He recognized a puppy dog when he saw one. Yeah, hey, I was a puppy dog. I would do anything for anybody at any time, day or night, just to be, a part be of allowed it. to hang around there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, while you were there, you got an interesting letter from a, a fan. Can you describe that? Um, actually, I wrote him first. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You're speaking of John Hinckley. Yes. And um, I saw one morning, I was producing the morning show at this time, the LaBella and Rody morning show. And um, I saw a news story. I was in there one day writing Rody's news stories for him. And I saw a story on TV about John Hinckley Jr. And something popped into my mind. They said that he was in St. Elizabeth's in Washington, D.C., I thought, huh, I think I'll write him a letter and just see what happens. Mm -hmm. And so I did. I'm, I just wrote something about we're keeping tabs on your exploits down here in Dallas. We know you have history here, and we want you to know that we're just interested in you. And I, that was it. I sent it off to him just to see what would happen. Well, imagine my surprise when about two weeks later, one of the things I asked him was, did he remember the zoo? And about two weeks later, I got a letter that on the return address said St. Elizabeth's, Washington, D.C. And I'm like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> and I opened it. And sure enough, dear Mr. Reiner, yes, I remember the zoo. And on and on he went. And he told us about his life at St. Elizabeth's. And he told us about uh, some music that he listened to because it put him in a weird mood, Lou Reed or something like that, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, that's that was pretty shocking. What happened to that letter? What happened to yeah. it? The station manager took it from me. Oh. And wherever that son of a bitch is. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't bother me one bit if he was dead because he was a a hole of the highest yeah. order. I I presume he still got it. Oh. However, I did Xerox it. Good, and I have a Xerox of it in 
John Hinckley's own barely legible scribe. That's incredible. That's an incredible story. I'm glad you at least got a copy of it. Yeah, Damn. I am too. I'm, gl- I'm glad I had the foresight to do that. Well, staying on the lines of the radio stations, and 20 years later, mm-hmm. almost 20 years later, you were involved in starting up a, a project in the in Dallas area, right? All sports, all the time, talk radio. Mm-hmm. And 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 a lot of we have a lot of listeners that are out of the country, out of state, and they you know. But the ticket is known nationally, right? How did that come about? I know there's a lot of I, I know how it came about, but would you mind telling the listeners how you came up with that idea that turned into what it is? Well, there were a couple of other guys involved in this, and like prior to any of that. I'd been taking my then wife and young daughter on vacation to places all around the country. And all these places had sports radio. And I'd really never heard it before. But we go to Boston, Seattle, Chicago, places like that. And while there, that was really all I wanted to do was listen to sports radio. Of course, they would have none of that, but... That was kind of where my head was at. And I started thinking, man, why why don't we have that here? So I come back, and I started talking to guys that I knew in the game about sports radio. I said, why do, why do you think we don't have sports radio here? They just said, looked at me like I was nuts. I said, because it never worked here. I said, why? Mm-hmm. And they said, well... First of all, you got to have a team. You got to have big money behind you. And you got to have the right guys. I said, well, okay, but why would it, why would the idea never work here? And they just, the, the best I got from them is it just wouldn't. That's not a good enough answer. No, no, it can't happen here. That's what they told me. But I started talking it up to, a guy that I knew who had some uh, very nebulous history in the game. His dad, as things turned out, was a big trader of radio stations. And one day he calls me and says, hey, need to get together with you. And so I got together with him. We had lunch at the Dixie House over in Lakewood. And he had a legal pad with him. And he said... Tell me everything that we let's go over everything we've ever talked about about sports radio. And so I just sat there, talked, he wrote, and he said, I think I've got a guy that wants to do this. And I said, Okay, cool. Let me know if something comes of it, fully thinking nothing would. Right. And a couple of weeks later he called me back, said the guy, let's get together with this guy. And we did. And that formed the Troika that started the ticket. Do you think because of the teams that we had, the local teams that we had here at the time, the success of the local teams and the popularity, did that have a was that did that make it an easier growth for the for the for the ticket? Because it was at the height of the the triplets. And yeah, they were just getting, yeah, it was. getting good. Yeah, that definitely played into it in a big way. But the thing about it is. Nothing lasts forever. Sure. 
and I knew they weren't going to last forever. And from day one, I was worried about, okay, how are we going to manage the downtime? And it just so happened that at that time, I was around guys that I thought if we could just get them to be themselves on the air, they could do that, that we could manage the downtime. We wouldn't be talking about sports necessarily. But as far as turning out radio that people would find worth listening to, I thought we could do that. And that's what I told them. That's what I told them we should do. You know, if if there's nothing going on, let's don't try to force it. Let's talk about other stuff. And as things turned out, those guys could do that and take it and just kill it. Well, it grew organically. Yeah. I mean, from when it yeah. started. Because I, I, I've been listening since 94. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't start listening to the morning guys until – because I've worked deep night jobs, mm-hmm. you know. So I was – I'd get home and I kind of was in bed by the time the musers were going. And, but I would listen to the hard line every day. Hell, I'd sit in my car yeah. waiting. I'd get to a store and I would be sitting in my car waiting to fit, listen to end of the segment, you know, back then before I went in. I can't tell you how many times I was late because of you guys. No, oh, I hear that from so many. Yeah. Never get tired of hearing it. Well, <laughs> what was the recipe? I mean, it, it was, it was, it was guy. T- y'all talk about so many things. Some of my, Great, the best stories to listen to now is to hear about George and, and 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 Craig talk about their vacation and what makes you, you got to ask. Well, why would anybody care about somebody else's vacation and their exploits across the country and the and across the world? We are we're very interested when we hear these guys talk and when you would tell stories about going playing at whatever venue or you're going on a trip or just telling a Swedish. Swedish meatball story. I didn't it's, tell those. It, yeah, <laughs> I was the victim there. Yeah, well, we're interested in that. I wasn't and, about to tell that it, one. Yeah. Well, I think what makes it great about you guys listening to y'all and y'all talk, y'all joke about this being the common man because I think everything y'all talk about is very relatable, and you know we could see ourselves doing that or getting sick from a bunch of meatballs at someone's yeah, sure. wedding. Yeah, it, anybody can. We related to that. It's a very yeah. common experience. Yeah, like a. The the old cannonball stacked up in a pyramid that oh, fell yeah. in your plate. <laughs> I heard that the other day. They replayed it, and I that story. I, I can't. I just I crack up every time I hear that damn story from the campground. That's that's one of the funniest things. It was just luck. That's all it was. You know, I just happened to at that time run across some guys that I thought didn't know, but thought could take that idea and run with it, and that happened to dovetail at the same time that i ran across a couple of guys that were wanting to do it yeah well, they now, were early it wasn't, on. E- it wasn't easy early on no well they were early on in their career too and there was a lot of risk that they took oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. There, i mean there was risk for everybody except me yeah <laughs> <laughs> was that draining sometimes like when you would get into sharing more personal stories or experiences did you leave at the end of a shift going, oh, I feel better, like I've seen a therapist, or did you just feel, or did you feel drained? No, no, I always felt better. I never shared anything that I wound up wishing I hadn't, or at least not that I can think of right off the top of my head, nothing that stayed with me. Mm-hmm. And how much direction early on were you given? I know, I know Kat was not that way, like he wanted you to do your thing. 
he knew you knew what you were doing. But did you did you ever have somebody come in trying to give you direction pointers? Well, you guys all need to tighten the time. This up. All the time. We had they brought one guy on board that I had known for a while and just absolutely hated. Hey, buddy. No, not him. Not, not him. him. Okay. Not him. I, I love him. <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, that guy was our savior. Okay. Okay. No, this is a guy that is known from time to time as the ticket hypester. Okay. Yeah. And I hated that son of a bitch. <laughs> and he would. He was he was rarely around, but what he would do is he would send memos via fax of all the things we were doing wrong. And I would make a big production of getting this memo, standing in the middle of the room where everybody could see me, and wadding it up and throwing it in the trash can. <laughs> I'd make a big production of that. Well, as it should have been. Yeah. It- now, that didn't go over well with the other guys that I started the station with. Because in very short order, those two had turned against each other, and they both hated me because they didn't think what I was doing was going to work. Well, they they were one of the uh, the original. Some yeah. of the had their own shows on there. They're, they're no longer there. Um, no, the, they didn't have shows on there. They were just the, the, Some of the, the guys. The figurehead, that, okay. Yeah, the okay. leaders, if you Leaders, will. Yeah. okay. With no creativity, it don't sound. Nope. It sounded like the back then, before the ticket in Dallas, it, there was it was more of an East Coast. Was that was that right? More of an East Coast sports talk radio thing. It was more just along the Boston and New York and those guys. There was sports, yeah. sports. Yeah, yeah. It was a very northeastern thing. Okay, that's where it really took root. Yeah. Um, you had the fan. Mm-hmm. In Boston, you had a station in Philly. You had one in or a fan in New York. That was the big one. That was the one everybody else was trying to catch up to because I don't know if they were first, but they were the first to really blow up. And then you had one in Philadelphia that was really big. You had one in um, Boston. There were probably one or two others out there that were pretty big, but the fan in New York was the one. They They, they set the template for it all. Yeah, do your model when you, when you first had a vision for this radio station and what and, and the characters and and all the bits and is it what you imagine it would be when you first thought of it? No, no, it's way more than I imagined okay. it would be. With the events you have, the ticket stocks. I mean, you just you've got hundreds of people. Well, now ticket stock yeah. was cribbed from the zoo. Okay, yeah, the zoo right. used to have a thing called Zoo World. <laughs> And it was really about the same thing. For a long time, we had a uh, promotions guy um, who was also the promotions guy at the zoo. And he was with us in those, through those formative years. And this guy is, is, was then and still is just an absolute dynamo. You know, he's independently wealthy and, and you know, doesn't have to do anything these days. But man, when you get that when you get that guy motivated and you get him into something that he's really into, there is no telling where he can take shit. Right. I mean, he is just an amazing cat. Well, there's always people like that that make shit happen. Yeah, and, and then when somebody has fu money, they can really make things happen. Yeah, like they want it to be. Yeah. Well, we didn't have that. No. 
But I, I don't know. It's it's just the craziest confluence you can possibly imagine. Because everything that had to break a certain way for us in the early days, for us to not only get, I mean, let alone get to where we are now, just survive and live to see another day, everything that had to break a certain way for us did. How long did it take to get out of that out of that feeling of shaky ground? How many years did it take for y'all to get your foot get a um, Probably about a year. Because... Oh, wow. Because after a year, the guy that I started it with sold out. And we were bought by a real radio company. Made us very, very leery because we thought they'd bought us to kill us. Right. But no, as things turned out, they liked what we did. Now, they told me back then, don't get too comfortable with these guys because all they do is buy properties and then flip them. Which, a year after that, they did. And we wound up in the hands of Susquehanna, which is the best thing that could have happened to us. Again, okay. we thought that they were going to kill us, but but no, that was ne- that was never their idea. They were there to grow us, and grow us they did. Well, they saw what they had. Yeah, they did. Know? Well, that's good. There's a lot of places. I mean, like even going into the computer world, I have some friends in that. Anytime a major computer company buys them or anything in tech buys, like Microsoft buys a smaller one, they absorb them, and they dissolve, almost dissolve. Yeah. Y'all were too big at that point, and the popularity of you guys was was off the charts. Well, law enforcement and and the ticket there. I, I can't tell you how many first responders listen to you guys. They get up in the morning, on their way into work, throughout the day. When I get a chance, I could I'll listen at my desk. I go home listening to the ticket, and. Whenever so, I've had I've had a lot of major injuries because of this job. I've had two major surgeries, and after the second sur- after the first surgery, I had neck surgery, and I get back to work. And after being off quite a quite a while, okay, I get back to work in the first week. I blow my knee out. I'm back off to work on crutches. So and I, and at the time, I was pretty down and depressed. I really was because I was kind of grounded at home too. You know, because I because I had a, the major surgery on it and uh, couldn't really do shit yeah. except watch episodes of Twenty Four, right? Mm-hmm. On you know, blow through those on um, on DVD, and then wake up and I'd wake up early. I'd set the alarm to get up. I didn't have anything else to do. I'd wake up and I would listen to the Musers. I would listen to Norm. I'd listen to the Bob and Dan. I would listen to you and Corby. I would just go through the entire day, and that was one of the few bright spots of my of my life. It really was. I mean, I, that was one of the things that made me happy. And, you know, I, now I haven't told a lot of people that, but that really is what it meant to me. And I know a lot of other people that that's a lot of the enjoyment they get is listening to that radio station and all the the genuine characters that are on there. And now, I'll, I'll be honest, listening to Craig now as a father, it's so nice to hear him as an older man yeah. becoming a father and listen to just the change since he's had his had his baby. Yeah. It's really refreshing. Very happy for him. Yes, yes, very refreshing to hear. I just want you to know what you and that radio station has meant to a lot of officers, including myself. No, it's not about me. It's about what we all did together. Yep, you know? I know. I know, but... But I've heard that story many, many times from many, many people over the years, and I, it's never, real. Get, I never get tired of hearing it. Well, let me ask you this, back to the, the creation, because I want to go into that too, but do you ever get tired of telling that story about how 
you guys got started. No, never get tired of it. Good. Every time I do it, it takes me right back into it. Good. Good. And it's it's really an amazing story. Well, I I know for you know, I I moved up here when I was in the academy in '97, and I didn't know anything about the ticket, but. Joe in the academy told me about it, and another classmate of ours, and I got to listen in, and I've P1 since then. And uh, one of the, even one time I called in, I got a first time, long time uh, shout out. Y'all, don't, they don't do that anymore, but I mm-hmm. used to enjoy doing that. But you guys have been so great from 9 11. Yeah, when you guys were on the air constantly, you yeah. know, working evenings, you know, working three to eleven, four to midnight. At that time, you know, you guys were a mainstay for everybody. Even then, then I know he's going to get into it in a second. Is after seven seven listening to you guys, yeah. y'all's around the clock coverage that y'all gave. Then I, I know there's so many officers that probably hate y'all for some things that y'all that some people do say. But for the most part, I know there's a lot of guys out there that you go in that car thirteen ten at the time now ninety six seven. You know, is programmed as a number one on dial for AM and FM, and it's been. I don't know if I would have been able to get through. I didn't know Joe had that issues with what he was going through, but I know it made me happy going to work. Cause like, well, I get to listen to the radio for, you know, tune out the police radio and listen to you guys. Well, we could be a diversion. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I know I, for one, have always and will always support police. I mean, you guys do great work. It's way, way underappreciated. And... I, for one, am in your corner. We appreciate that. You, the ticket the ticket crew talks about being in the bunker. Mm-hmm. Why do you have that approach? Because police have a have a similar. You're either all the way in or all the way out. Yeah. Why do you, Why do y'all have that? Why do you say that? Well, we instilled, and I was probably the linchpin of this. Very early on. We instilled, hey, it's us against the world. Nobody thinks we can do this. I used to constantly talk about it. I used to preach to them about it, that everybody thinks we're going to fail. We've got a chance, though, to make our mark on this thing. And if we play our cards right, I think we can. And that that was really the driving ethos of the radio station back then it was us against the world and people were were ready for us to fail and we were not gonna i don't know if it was asked of everyone when they interviewed or before they came on but i know it was asked of me if you know you have to be prepared to be fully dedicated your passion had to come through in your interviewing in um talking about why you wanted to be a part of it because if it didn't then the crew, they didn't want to hire you. Yeah. And I know you, your cubicle, uh, new people would come by. You had a collection of nameplates of yes. people who had left <laughs> or been let go. And you told me the when I came The ticket graveyard. Up, the ticket graveyard. And you told me when I, when I was hired, you said, hmm. I'm probably going to see your name up here. And it, I did? You did? I told say, you that? You did say that. And I thought... The F you will. <laughs> and the F I did. <laughs> she lasted. But you, but you know, to Joe's point, talking about the passion and you've got to be totally in 
and trust each other, you know, yeah. be passionate, yeah, that's be loyal. It. That's what it was all about. That's the difference between us and all these other radio stations. We have that. They don't. They try to fake it, but they don't have it. No. They y'all caught lightning in a bottle and y'all yes, we grew, did. and y'all let we it did. burn. And it will it never happen again. No. Not not to this degree. And there and just the the events y'all have. We mentioned ticket stock. The guys not out, you'd have tons of people show up, fight nights. These events you would have in the loyal fans that you have here in this city and beyond. It's just amazing, and and once y'all start, y'all y'all got the ticket app. That's the best damn thing. I can actually, I can actually get out of my car and walk into the office and not miss anything. I can pause yeah. it. You know, yeah. that's the best thing because I I used to have a damn Walkman that with headphones that I would listen to you guys walking around. It was ridiculous. Well, I didn't anticipate the events and the crazy fandom and the thing getting as big as it has. That's for sure. I mean, look. It's a, it's a freaking radio station. That's it. And radio's never mattered that much, and now it, it matters even less than it ever has. But still, I don't know how it happened, but it did. And I'm just, I'm glad, I'm thankful, I'm, I'm just over the moon for it, still. Well, you have that in the bunker mentality. Officers have the same thing, and so does I'm sure they do. first responders. We have yeah. you know thin blue line, thin red line, because it, we have that same. And it's us against yeah the the, the bad guys. Yeah, the, the, I mean, we're if the anybody's going to know what that's like, it's yeah. you guys. Well, we have to have that. We get scrutinized a lot for that, and and you know, but that's that comes with the territory. Yes, it we, does. We get it, but it, it is real though. We have to have that just to cope and survive. I don't know if we get scrutinized for it, but. There are a lot of people who have been, or not a lot, but some people have been rubbed the wrong way by it over the years. Of course, yeah. But you got to have that. You got to have it to see what you did, what you described, telling your team of your don't lose mentality and being in the bunker. Yeah. That's infectious. Yeah. If you have a shitty, negative, this is never going to work, or you even think there's a chance it won't work. That can grow. That, that little seed can grow into the, the biggest plant and devour you. Yeah, and there was plenty of doubt, of course, among you know, uh, among our guys as to whether or not this was really going to work. But they also knew that this was the best chance they were ever going to have to yeah. make their mark in this thing, and they were they they were going to play it to the hilt. Probably we had that going for us more than any other thing. That we all knew that it was a chance to make history. Yes, we. Uh, well, it was just a chance for us to make our mark, and and really, probably the best case scenario for us, if we were, would have all been telling the truth back then, was maybe we'll come up with uh, enough good audio and good shit to where we can take it somewhere else to our next job. How but, close were you leaving the ticket? If you were you ever close to leaving? Yeah, there was one time when I got pretty close. Yeah, there was there was one time when when another station was about ready to give me anything I wanted. Wow! But in the end game, I couldn't. They were thinking, cut off the head, the body will die, which it wouldn't have. But I, I, I knew what we had. Yeah. And I knew that that couldn't be found there or anywhere else, and that 
had been everything to me. You've met so many quote unquote superstars and, and, and celebrities and, and uh, incredible people in your career. What are, what are some of the top people other than, Telling Stevie Wonder to shut up when he was up on the stage. I, I, I him to shut up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Did not do that. Did not do that. That, 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 has, that has been colored a certain yeah, way over but, the years. Now, now, what, you know, now you know what it's like to be a cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, I do. What are, What are some of the just the experience you've had that just blew you away? The people you've met. Oh God, people always ask me that, and there have been so many of them I can't even think of any. Um. I don't know. I thought it was really neat when baseball players and athletes finally learned my name and knew who I was. Yeah. And would say hey to me when I showed up to a game. You know, I thought that was pretty neat. Um, there have been a lot of great guys like that. Roger Staubach was one. Yeah. Great guy. Troy Eggman's another. Yeah. He and I have just gotten to know each other a little bit in the last few years, but mm-hmm. He's a great and I think largely misunderstood guy. A lot of people paint him with a certain brush, but he's really not like that. Um, God, there have been lots of Rangers, lots of Mavericks, but the ones that I always enjoy the most were the guys from the old days, Rolando Blackman, Derek Harper, people like that. Mm-hmm. Love those guys. And uh, that's been a wild ride. We just met so many people over the years. And interviewed so many people, and so cool. I listened to Derek Harper's episode on your on your podcast. Yeah, you, you know, and and that was so that was such a stroll down memory lane listening yeah. to the '80s Mavericks and 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 his and his involvement. And I thought it was really cool. Like, it, and when you said that, people say, "Hey, they know your name." You're, it, it sounded like two old friends sitting down. Yeah, it really did. I like that's that. one of my favorite podcasts that I've done so far, and that's that's why. You know, because and we did know each other back in the day, but I didn't. We hadn't talked much in you know many many years, but but having him on, it just you picked back up. Yeah, it yeah, picked right back up. Well, if it wasn't for the the Lakers back then in the eighties, I mean Dallas, you know, we we might have some more banners hanging there. Yeah, might no. have had something back then. Yeah, <laughs> he's a, Randy's a Spurs fan. He's from San Antonio, well, so you know. Congratulations! <laughs> hey man, I've enjoyed it. You know, you know. I you know I was lucky to be with what we've had the past you know after Duncan left, and back in 2011 when the Mavs finally won, I thought of you know listening to you guys I thought about you a lot because I remember my dad how happy I was for my dad when Spurs won 99 because I know you guys been battling for so long to get that over that hump and 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 truly enjoy that, but I want to ask you this: Would you trade? That 2011 championship for the uh, for the Rangers have won and not lost to the Cardinals. Would you switch one for the other, or are you glad that it worked out the way it did? He's contemplating. That's what I want. Yeah, you want the truth? Yes, I'd do it in an instant. <laughs> you know, Derek uh, Derek Holland was in here a couple of in the middle beginning of the pandemic and donated some money because we we're feeding officers. You know, when everything was shut down. And that was what I, I we talked about game six, and you know because I'm a big Ranger fan, and just even during the pandemic, I watched that game six. I don't know why I was sitting at that house in the Grant in the Garland, yeah, you know, and I watched that game six, and it was just such a nut kick, and you know because I asked him about that too, and he's he still 
I don't think he was he was over it, or anybody from that team was over from that. No, I don't that think series. they are either. Hell, even President Bush, he couldn't hardly talk about it when the Musers had him on. Or, no, it was Corby and Bob, Dan, uh, Bob had him on. He couldn't talk about it. Yeah, about just the. Okay, I'm I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put him on the spot here. So so Sergeant Bacon down oh, here. F him. Yes, Cardinals. He, yeah, he is a diehard Cardinals fan, and he and I were on the same team together, and he doesn't even know this. I had a. Texas Ranger, one of the plates that go over the license plate covers on yeah. the car. I went out to his car and I put the Rangers over his. After that game six happened, I went out there and I took that shit off. And he never he now he knows. I I was I was like, well, I'm gonna put this back away. So you just jinx- finding this so out you, today? Yeah, yeah. So you jinxed him? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah. we're breaking news here, yeah. are we? Uh, yeah. All right. I want to get, I want to get into some more uh, if, if you have time. Okay. Time is yours. Okay. I want to talk about July seventh. I listen to you guys do every show I listen to. Whenever you growing up in this city, this city has has been your city your whole life. Whenever July seventh happened and you saw that unfold that night um, on the news and and just the aftermath the weeks after what what went through your mind oh uh, well i was living downtown then yeah it all happened right by me or you know fairly close by. were you home that night yeah no oh yeah i was um i don't know i, I was just shocked sad disappointed disappointed in the city um disappointed that Something like that could happen here. You know, there's no real reason to think that it couldn't or shouldn't. I mean, it's the kind of thing that happens in big cities. This is a big city. But I don't know. That's That That was, as a native Dallasite, that was a dark day, a dark night. Yeah. You say that, yeah, it could. You think about it logically. Being a big city and a we're we're a top ten department, you know, and and city in the country, and and Dallas is known for historically everything. Lost the president, <laughs> had J.R. Ewing, right, mm-hmm. and we've had the America's team. For this to happen that night, it happened, um, and then three days later, Baton Rouge happened, where those those officers out there got got shot and killed uh, during that attack. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you from the police side, we were, we were scared shitless. I'll bet we thought you were. We, were, we were under attack. I'll bet and, you were. And it was going to be across the country. That's what we were thinking. Um, since you did grow up in the '60s, there was a lot of bullying. Bo- this the country was at a bullying point in the '60s, and especially the late '60s. Mm-hmm. And there was so many clashes and conflict between law enforcement and and, and uh, citizens. You had the war. You had the the the. Uh, the anti-war and anti-police. You had the civil rights movement. What's gone on with the rhetoric and the approach to law enforcement, first responders and citizens, do you see any kind of comparison of how it was in the 60s till now? Uh, Yeah, I do. I was thinking about that earlier today because I thought this might come up. Yep. And I don't know if it's there yet, but I'm not sure that it's not getting worse now than it was then. Well, you know, 
when uh, Joe came up with the idea for the for the podcast, he wanted to bridge the divide and and put out there like what cops go through and and try to give a better understanding of what we got going on. You know, and over the past several years, we've had a lot of sports people, athletes, pro athletes uh, from all all you know NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball protest and show their disdain for everything for wanting change mm-hmm. and, and they come at us saying the change needs to be on the police side well we're like you know we can only change so much and the community needs to change equally and we don't sometimes feel like that's happening do you think athletes and musicians too because I, I feel like you're pretty tied in tuned into both groups are doing enough to invoke change to do better to bridge the divide do you think they're doing enough can they do more you could always do more anybody can always do more with anything but um i don't know as far as invoking change goes i guess it depends on what kind of change you're talking about i mean like i like i say I'm very supportive of you guys, mm. and I got to tell you, the way things are going right now, I mean, I see stuff and hear stuff and read stuff, and I think, man, how do these guys do their job, you know? Like, you stop somebody, you want to talk to them, they won't talk to you. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Well, and then we, there's officers that don't even feel comfortable just sitting down in a restaurant that they're going to get ambushed yeah. these days and, I believe and, and we know that's the very small minority of the of the community the majority of the community they do support us. it may they, be a small minority but it's still there they, no absolutely it's still there and it's scary <clears throat> and i'm i'm knowing what i know now and starting in the late 90s and i'm i'm <clears throat> winding down uh, maybe i'll have my own little video just like you did to walk out the door but <laughs> it's a way I, to do it yeah, yeah that was that was greatness I'm glad I'm closer to the end than in the beginning now because I can't imagine starting in in this in this temperature right now. Boy, I can't either. Do you I think it's worse because of the accessibility to videos and sharing of information, whether it's accurate information or not? Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's been a bigger game changer than anything. You know, for one thing, it's a easy way for some average spare guy out there to get on TV. Yeah. And all of a sudden, now people know who he is. And that's for, uh, I'm absolutely convinced that for a lot of them, that's all they really want. It's the one, they just want attention. They want, yeah, likes, they want attention. And likes and shares yeah, and, they, and they, viral. They, yeah. And, yeah. That's what they want. That's what it's all about. It's not even really believing in the cause you're talking about. No. It's, it, it's, no. it's, it's just wanting attention. A lot of them can't tell you the first thing about any kind of cause. No. They just see an opportunity to get attention by walking away from the cops because they want to talk to them and they take advantage of that. And, and we're baited a lot too. And c- cops are, and, and first responders, they're, we're held to a higher standard and rightfully so. And we have to, we have to put up with a lot of shit. And during the, the protests after the aftermath of the George Floyd uh, uh, killing, and mm-hmm. there's nobody in this room, all of first, we know that was fucked up. We know, and we 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 felt it, and we're still feeling it because of what went on in Minnesota. Yeah, it was terrible. It was awful. Um, were you were you living downtown when the, when those uh, protests and I riots was. happened? I was. 
what, what was going through your mind whenever that was going on? Um, I was standing outside watching the whole thing. Yeah. Um, up against the building, making it clear that I was not a part of this. I was just watching. And my biggest takeaway from that whole night was the number of people down there who were throwing bricks and rocks and stuff through the windows at Neiman Marcus mm-hmm. and going in there and getting shit. Peacefully. And then hauling ass. Peacefully. Yeah. Was it, yeah. Let me ask you, in your opinion, was that peaceful or were those riots? Those were riots. Yeah. Those were definitely, I mean, if, am I wrong? No. Ask ask the DA. Yeah. No. It, <laughs> I'm, so, it, I'm sorry, that's political, but yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was riots. To the definition yes, of the law, it it's was. riots. When you, when, when you. I mean, you're tearing up property. You're, yeah, somebody's got to pay for that shit. Yeah. And, there, you know, and not I, a single person's been charged with any of that. Oh, I know. And they won't be either. Cops have but been the, charged. But, but the thing that really disgusted me about it was there were people going into those places down there, Neiman Marcus, which is right across the street from where I lived. Mm-hmm. I, I stood out in front of the building, watched this whole thing go down, breaking out windows, coming out of there with shit, hauling ass, and they didn't have a damn idea about what they were doing down there, about what was really going on, what people were protesting or anything like that. Black Lives Matter? Ah, so what? Let's go get some shit. Yeah. That we'll, op- that we'll never get otherwise. They were just opportunities. Yes, they yeah. were. Yeah. They didn't the, care about a cause. They no, they didn't. They didn't. That's what disgusted me about the whole thing more than any other yeah. thing. Well, I have a lot of friends on the ground. Actually, the uh, my uh, SWAT guy, Danny Canetti, their sound guy, he was there. He was on the ground, and he was there all three nights, the Friday, Saturday, and finally Sunday, uh, the bridge incident. It finally, after that, after Chief Hall drew a line in the sand that night, it mm-hmm. really calmed down after that. And and Danny brought this up in an episode uh, about the history of Dallas SWAT, and he talked about that, that Dallas was the only uh, – we did not have a loss of life during those three days of hell. And they did some things that unlike other cities that kind of quelled that. Thank God we did. They did. So uh, that's like a little secret amongst themselves, the things they did to c- control that environment and, and, and stop it. But uh, only they know that what they did. Well, well played. Yeah. Thank God. Um, I want to get into what you're doing now. You got your podcast. Can you talk about it? Um, it's called Your Dark Companion. It's av- available on VocalNow.com. And what it is is me finding somebody that I want to shoot the shit with and getting them in there and shooting the shit with them. Just talking. Know them. Yeah, just talking. Finding out what they're up to, what they're doing, what makes them tick. Um, it's been a lot of fun. It's been very, um, very eye-opening. Yeah, it's. You believe it brings you back to your original roots of radio? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. When you have total control, I'm guessing over. Yeah, over the, that's good. Yeah, I don't have anybody riding herd over me, telling me what to talk about or not talk about, unless it's the guy that I'm interviewing. If they want me to stay away yeah. from something, I'll do that. But, but uh, th- yeah, that's the neat thing about it for me. I can have who I want on, and I can talk to him about whatever. You know. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a certain topic. I, I, I listen. I, yeah. I've been listening. I, I, I want everybody else to check it out, too. If you want to hear the old Gray Wolf's voice and discussing various topics, it's, it's a great podcast. I love it. Well, thank you. I appreciate yep. that. And I hope everybody, everybody will check it out. 
It is on vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-Now.com. And just look for your dark companion. Yep. Um, yeah, just listen to the Derek Harper one here that recently. I love that one. Oh, it, it's fantastic. Yeah, I love it. Um, I got one final question for you, Mike. With all that you've seen in your seven decades on Earth, seen the civil rights struggle, you saw Kennedy assassination, city growth, decline, regrowth. How do you feel we could all do better about understanding each other as a community, first responders, and further bridge divides? That is very, very open-ended there. Yep. That's what we like to to do here. (laughs) I don't know. You just have to listen. You have to watch. You have to be aware, and you have to be willing to try and put yourself in the shoes of the other guy as much, if not more, than anything else. And if we could all just be a little bit nicer about the whole thing, that'd be neat, too. Yeah. As opposed to just going from immediate left or immediate right, have some middle ground in life yeah. and an approach and just yeah, there's understand nothing wrong each with other. A little middle ground in there. No. No. I'd prefer middle ground. I do too. I seek it. <laughs> so do we. Trust me. I know. You guys do. <laughs> Mike, I want to thank you for coming on here. It it's an honor to actually sit with you in front of a mic. I never would have, if you'd have told young me, like I said before, I said, you're completely full of shit. You're never going to be in the same room with Mike, much less talking to him with a microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, the honor is co- all mine. Sir, thank you for coming out here. I support you guys. I will to the end. And thank you for all you do. Thank you for your great work. And thank you for having me here today. Hey, uh, thank you, and reminder to our listeners out there, you know, we are uh, a nonprofit, and hopefully you bring a lot of listeners into you share this when you're doing it. But go to atodallas.org, find out more information about what we do with our counseling program and how we take care of officers around the area. Appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. So until we meet again, stay hard, keep jamming, and we'll see you. <laughs>